Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. And I know that you have probably not spent a lot of time in 1 Chronicles, uh, but we're in this series called Entrusted. Last week, we looked at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, uh, where God uh, set Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and he told them that, uh, that they had a responsibility that he entrusted them to tend and to care uh, for the garden and all the things that are in it. And that is a picture of stewardship. And it's a picture of what God has established throughout Scripture, not just in Genesis, but all the way to Revelation, that God has entrusted certain things to us. And uh, last week we saw how God entrusted the care of his stuff to us. Uh, we saw and uh, looked at Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, where the Scripture tells us very clearly that everything on the earth belongs to the Lord. Everything in the earth and, and all of its fullness belongs to the Lord. And, and so God has given us stewardship. He's entrusted to us the care over his stuff. Um, and, and if you remember, I talked about a triangle, and this is a picture of of stewardship in Scripture. You have God at the top, me uh, and you on one corner, and stuff on the other corner. Now, God at the top of the, of the triangle, that means that he is in charge. He's the boss, and he owns all the stuff. Psalm 24, 1, everything belongs to God. Uh, everything that, that, uh, that I'm wearing today, that belongs to God. Everything that, uh, that uh, is in my home, that belongs to God. Even my home is not my home. It's God's home that he's allowed me uh, to uh, take care of and tend. And sometimes I do a good job, sometimes I don't. Um, but that's the ownership. God owns the stuff. And then down at uh, the other corner is me. And, and when I live in harmony with God and live in obedience to him, live in right relationship with him, then I understand that I have a stewardship for the stuff that he puts in my care. There are certain things that he's put in my care. Understand this. My bank account is not my money. That's God's money. I just am entrusted with that portion. And I'm entrusted with that portion to reflect God's glory, to make much of him, not really just to make much of myself. So here we have this picture of good stewardship, and really it's the right view of life. God's at the top. He's in charge. He's the boss. He's the owner of everything. I'm at one corner, and when I live in harmony with God, then I have uh, the stewardship of the stuff that he's put in my care. But there's also a skewed view, and that is with me at the top. You see, when I'm at the top of the triangle, that means that I see myself as in charge. I'm in charge, and, and so I have ownership of the stuff. Uh, the stuff doesn't belong to God. I treat it as if it's mine. So everything in the bank account, I view as mine. Now, that's robbery to God. It's his stuff, but now I'm claiming ownership of things that belong to him. And so this is a skewed view of relationship, uh, uh, of stewardship, but it's also a skewed relationship with God. Anytime, now get this church, 
Anytime I see stuff as belonging to me and not to God, it's disharmony, rebellion, and disobedience between me and God. I have set myself on the throne and put God in this position where the stuff belongs to me, so God better take care of my stuff. How many times have we said, God, I want you to take care of my finances? Well, those are, that's God's finances. I'm supposed to be taking care of it for him, not him taking care of it for me. It's a skewed view of stewardship where God is supposed to be the steward of my resources. That's a bad model and it, le- it leads, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> it leads us to chaos. And it leads to chaos in our life and in our relationships because it reflects a skewed relationship with God. Well, we're going to continue this view of how God has entrusted us, uh, the care over his stuff. And we're going to look specifically in 1 Chronicles 22, where God has entrusted us to make his name famous and great in our world. This is something that God has given us responsibility for, if indeed we're followers of Jesus. Now, the context of 1 Chronicles 22 is David is coming to the end of his reign, and he is setting it up so that Solomon can build the temple. And First Chronicles 22 is all about David preparing the way for Solomon to build the temple. We're going to uh, look at certain pieces of this, but but let me just say this first and foremost. God's not concerned about a building here. He's concerned about his name. He's concerned about his glory. He's concerned about his honor. Now, certainly, certainly, you look at verse 5. Um, it says, now, David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent famous and glorious throughout all the countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. Now, this was not primarily about a building, although the building was important as a symbol and as a sign of God's glory. It was important in Old Testament uh, times to, to have that temple as a signpost of God's presence, his power, his glory. But here we're on this side of the cross and the empty tomb and the Holy Spirit coming upon all believers at Pentecost so that we're no longer concerned about a building. We're concerned about us as the temple of the Spirit of God. First Corinthians 3.16, 1 Corinthians 6.16, uh, 6, both of those passages point out that you and I, as followers of Jesus, we're the temple of the Spirit of God. It is not that God could be contained in a building made by human hands. And although the temple that Solomon built was grand and filled with, with, uh, uh, with magnificence and even opulence, The goal was not just to create a big building that people oohed and awed over. The goal was to create a building that was a reflection of God and making his name great among the nations and the peoples of the nations. In the same way, you and I, as followers of Jesus, now we are the temple 
of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God resides within us so that we belong to him and we are the signpost. We are the ones who are to make great and make famous who God is. That is what he has entrusted to you and that is what he has entrusted to me. So when we look at this picture of David preparing for the building of the temple, we need to think not only in terms of what it was historically, but we need to think theologically about who we are and how that God has entrusted to you and to me this great calling to glorify him. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, the apostle Paul says, so whatever you do, whether it's eating or drinking, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Your life as a follower of Jesus does not belong to you. Remember, God is the owner of all things, including me. And I belong to him so that the life that I live should be making God great, should be making his name famous, should be making a big deal about him. Now, this is what God has entrusted to us. We see it throughout Scripture. When Jesus came, he came to glorify his Father in heaven. That's to make God's name great, to show the world who God is. When he uh, commissioned us as his followers, he said, you're supposed to be witnesses to me. What does that mean? We're supposed to show people who God is. Make famous the name of God. Now the question that begs to be answered is, how are we doing? How are you doing? Demonstrating who God is, not just in this place. Now again, let's let's look at this. God did not commission us just to cloister together in a room and make each each other feel better about who we are as followers of Jesus, but rather he has sent us into our world to make a difference for his name. He sends you to your workplace to make a difference for his name. He sends you to your school to make a difference for his name. He sends you into your cul-de-sac and your community to make a difference for his name. We are not ambassadors who live only in this embassy, but we are ambassadors who come together in this wondrous embassy and experience the blessings and the encouragement and the power of God's presence as we worship corporately. And then we leave this place to make a difference in our world for him, for his glory, for his namesake. So today, when we have someone like Randy Forbes who comes, one of the reasons that, that I, I, I wanted Randy to speak was because he is a man who gets it. He is a follower of Jesus Christ who is committed to make God's name great, where he works, where he lives. And that is the model that God has set for us. So as we look at this passage... David said, Solomon's inexperienced, he's young, so I'm going to prepare the way to make this temple great, magnificent. 
So what are the things that David does? What are the things that we learn in this passage? And what are the things that we can glean to make God's name great uh, as we go? Well, the first thing we see is that we must live in harmony with God. If you look in verses 12 and 13 of 1 Chronicles 22, only may the Lord, now this is David talking, Uh, to Solomon. Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you take care to fulfill the statutes and the judgments with which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. In the triangle of stewardship that is proper, God is at the top and we're down on the corner and stuff is over here. And there must be harmony between us and God for life to make sense. If you want your job to make sense, if you want your career to make sense, my granddaddy, and I, I got to see him this week, my granddaddy, he, uh, he worked for 42 years at the American Aluminum Company of America, the Aluminum Company of America, Alcoa. He worked at Alcoa. I don't know what the acronym is. He worked at Alcoa for 42 years. He, uh, after he got out of the Navy, he went straight to work at Alcoa. It was a hard work. It was, it was laborious. He came home drenched in sweat. I remember leave, him leaving early and coming home late, having worked uh, all day, uh, diligently giving himself, did it uh, until he retired. It was not an easy job. It was not uh, one that he probably would have said, this is my career choice for life. You know, it wasn't one of those things where he woke up in the morning and said, man, I just want to work at Alcoa because it's so fulfilling. But he found fulfillment because he began his day harmoniously with God. And he went to Alcoa every day determined to be pleasing to God. When, when, uh, when David says to Solomon, you need wisdom and understanding to have charge over Israel, he's saying, as you go throughout your day, you need wisdom, you need insight into what God wants so that you can bring him glory as you go through your day, and understanding. That is the, the ability to choose between what is good and what is not good. Understanding is the ability, the common sense, the good judgment that God gives us to say, don't walk down that path, but rather walk down this path. Why? Because if we're at work and we're walking down this path, God says, don't walk down that path. If we go ahead and walk down that path, we have disharmony with God and we bring disrepute to his name. But if we walk down the path that he tells us to choose, that he, that he tells us to go, then we will bring glory to him. It doesn't mean that we're always breaking out our, our, uh, our Roman road or, or our steps to peace with God and going through a gospel track. It means that as we work with somebody for five years, every day for five years, they begin to see and to sense that there's something significant about the God we worship. It's not merely that we're a good, moral, religious person, but we carry God with us everywhere we go. It's not just a Sunday morning exercise. It is an everyday experience where I'm living harmoniously with God. He gives me wisdom and understanding. Uh, David said, you need to follow the judgments and the statutes that Moses received. That was the Ten Commandments, the law. 
Ultimately, that means for us, we need to make a commitment when we wake up in the morning and throughout the day, even among our peers at work or at school or in our community, we need to make a commitment that I'm going to follow what God wants. I'm not going to do what is most expedient. I'm not going to do what is most uh, pleasant for me. I'm going to do what God wants. And that means hard choices when we're at work. And it means hard choices when we're at school. It means that we make it our priority to bring pleasure to God, to make much of Him more than we put as a priority the approval or the acceptance of our peers. We need to have a renewed perspective about our 24-7 kind of life where God is in charge and we are living in harmony with him because we're being obedient to him, because our goal is to make much of him. Our goal is to demonstrate how good and great he is. Our goal is to show his holiness and his mercy. Our goal is to demonstrate his majestic joy that he offers all who live harmoniously with him. Now, the challenge for us is to do that. As followers of Jesus, I haven't told you anything that you don't already know. But how do you have the courage to do it? David said, be strong and of good courage. Don't be dismayed. We hear that same phrase used uh, to Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's the key for us. If we're going to stand firm, not just kneel down in prayer when we get together in this wonderful place, but if we're going to stand up and make a difference for God's glory in the workplace and in the school and in our neighborhood, if we're going to have the courage to do that, it's because we are living in harmony with the God who has saved us and made us brand new in Christ Jesus. We are living in harmony with the very Spirit of God who resides within us and enables us and empowers us to live for God's pleasure every day. Guys, we need to have a renewed passion of harmony with God, not just going through a Bible study, not just taking notes on a sermon, not just listening to our favorite preacher on the radio or watching him on television or a podcast, but rather we need to personally take that which God has entrusted to us and say, I'm going to live in fellowship with the God who has saved me in Christ Jesus. So we need to live in harmony with God. The second thing we see in this passage is that our work belongs to God. Our work belongs to him and it is for him. Now, as David is preparing the way for Solomon, if you look down in verses 14 and 15, he says, Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord. 100,000 talents of gold, 1 million talents of silver. That's a summer advance right there. Woo! We need some more of that, right? Uh, Bronze and iron beyond measure, for it is so abundant. I've prepared timber and stone also, and you may add to them. Now get this. Moreover, there are workmen with you in abundance, woodsmen, stonecutters, and all types of skillful men for every kind of work. Can I tell you that one of the greatest 
dilemmas that we face in American culture, in my opinion, is where we have separated sacred and secular. Where we've said there are certain things that are sacred. That's usually what we define as happening on a Sunday morning in this place. There are certain things that are sacred, and then there are certain things that are secular. And, and that's what happens when we go to work. That's the secular field. And we've got the sacred field, and we've got the secular field. And we even divide up our own lives in the sacred and the secular. I'm, I'm sacred when I get to church, and I'm secular when I go to work. I'm sacred when I get to church, and I'm secular when I go to school. I'm sacred when I get to church, and I'm secular when I get around my buddies on the golf course. I'm sacred here, and I'm secular there. And we divided our life like that. And friends, let me tell you, that is nowhere to be found in Scripture. What we do is we say, okay, if you are skilled in carpentry, you're skilled as a carpenter, so... uh, Five days, six days a week, you go out and you make your living and you do your carpentry skill and you make the money and then maybe on a Saturday or a Sunday, you'll come here and somebody or something in the church needs fixing and you've got the carpentry skills to fix part of the building or a pew or whatever and you come and you apply your carpentry skills for this work here in this building. And what you've done is you've said, yes, I've got this skill. I'm going to build this, this deck here for, for a God in the church. But when I go build a deck in my neighborhood, well, that's not for God. That's just work. And I'm telling you that the Bible says that that kind of perspective is wrong. The deck you build for the person in your neighborhood is for God. And the deck you build here in this place is for God. Every work that we do, every skill that God has given us as a follower of Jesus is to be used for God's glory, to reflect back to him. He's the owner of everything, even your skill set. And when you go to your work, if you're skilled in, in, uh, uh, in, in, in spreadsheets, I love spreadsheets. I love, sp- I love, love spreadsheets. If you're skilled, I knew that get it today. Uh, uh, if you're skilled in spreadsheets, that is awesome. That's spectacular. But in your workplace, as you're using that skill in your workplace, you need to understand this is unto the Lord. This is not unto my boss. This is not unto that billable hour. This is not unto um, uh, the, the, the making the client happy. This is unto the Lord. Whatever you do in word or deed, Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, the work you do, the skills you use are for God's glory. So you do it with all that you have so that others might see that God is good. When you go to work, you are there for God's glory. When you're at school, you're there for God's glory. David said we have stone cutters, we have, we have uh, 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 wood wood cutters and stone cutters and 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 all those top people and 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 in second chronicles it i mean there's a whole list of them even more expansive than that but what's what david is saying is look these guys have a certain skill set that god has given them and they are to use that for god's glory now that's not just building something here in this room or on this 312 kempsville road or, or even on mission in, uh, in the Philippines or Malawi, 
But rather, it is when you go 24-7 to your workplace, you use the skills that God has given you to bring Him honor, to make His name famous. Do people that you work with or go to school with, do they say, man, God is good? And the reason I know God is good is because I work with Eric Thomas. And if God can do what he's done to Eric Thomas, man, I like that God. That, that's using the skill set that God has given you for his glory. doesn't mean that you're going to make everybody happy at work. You don't. You have to make some hard choices, and you have to make some tough decisions that please God and not the client, or please God and not your boss. Please God, not your professor. Those are hard choices, but you make them intel- uh, uh, with this intentional perspective. I'm going to make much of God. And over time, as you are giving yourself to God's glory every single day, people take note. Guys, your work is for God. There's no such thing as sacred and secular when it comes to your life because you are the temple of the Spirit of God. And wherever you go, it is sacred. Our work is for God. So what do you do? Well, you seek God and you live for his glory. That's the third thing. We need to seek the Lord and glorify him. Now, we see this uh, in, uh, in, in verses 18 and 19. Uh, is not the Lord your God with you? Has he not given you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. This is David talking. He's talking to the leaders there in Israel. Therefore, uh, set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy articles of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord. See, you and I have to make a decision that we will seek the Lord. Good stewardship. We've been entrusted, we've been entrusted to make God's name great wherever we go. But to accomplish that, we need to live in harmony with God. How do we live in harmony with God? We need to seek the Lord. Set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord. That's a commitment. That's a decision. That's a journey that we must make every day. That's not depending on somebody else to seek the Lord and tell us about their journey. Guys, as I've shared, what I do here on Sunday mornings is my journey with the Lord, and I'm just kind of rehearsing it with you. This is me seeking the Lord and me telling you about it on a Sunday morning. But that's not enough for anybody. You can't just take notes about somebody else's journey. You have to make the commitment. You have to have a passion to seek the Lord. Are you seeking the Lord? Every day, are you passionately pursuing Him? Are you living in intimate fellowship with the God who has given you life through faith in Jesus Christ? Seek the Lord. And as we seek the Lord, we live to glorify Him, to honor Him, to bring Him pleasure, to make his name great. So I'll end with this. First of all, some of us, we've separated our life. What we do at church is different than what we do the other six days a week. And what we do at church is we, we, we put on the sacred, but what we do the other six days a week, we're putting on the secular, and we're, we're acting like that's 
a, an appropriate way of doing life. And, and that's a chaotic way of doing life. That's a divided way of doing life. That's a double-minded person, unstable in all his ways. So if you've been living your life with that duality, the first thing I want to encourage you to do is to lament and mourn and weep over that sinfulness in your life. And it is sin. Anytime we separate God out of our daily decisions and our daily walk, that is sinful. And so we need to lament and mourn and weep over our sin. Acknowledge that that's not the way God has saved me to live. That's not who I am as a follower of Jesus. So the very first thing I encourage you to do is is acknowledge any part of your life that you've divided out and said, this is sacred, this is secular, and it's okay for me to live this way over here. Let the Spirit of God uh, compel you on that journey. The second thing I would ask you to do is ask God, God, what is one thing I can do this week at work? At school, in my community, what is one thing I can do differently this week that will make your name great among the people I encounter? What is that one thing? What is the change that you need to make in order to make famous the name of the Lord our God? So, first thing, is there anything that you've divided in your life between sacred and secular? If so, repent of it as sin and get rid of it. And second, oh God, what's one thing I can do this week? One change I can make this week among my peers, among my friends, among my coworkers, among my schoolmates, among my neighbors, what is one thing I can do different this week to make much of your goodness and your grace? We've been entrusted as followers of Jesus, to make famous the name of the Lord. Let's fulfill our responsibility beginning right now. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Oh God, as we, as we gather together for your glory and now as we leave for your pleasure, may we be scattered throughout Hampton Roads bringing honor and pleasure to your name. May we leave this place to make your name great. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.